Well, I think there was, um, at the end of the 70s, a general dissatisfaction with how much we could achieve through um, nice, uh, nicely designed psychological experiments, how much we could actually understand about autism, because in some sense they failed to deliver. They didn't tell us why these children had these peculiar uh, difficulties in social communication. It wasn't a language difficulty, which was, uh, in fact, in a way, the best bet up till that uh, time. And it wasn't uh, a difficulty that we could get handle on in this central uh, system. So it was necessary to, to look in uh, for different ideas in different fields. And of course, there, there, was, there were lots of interesting events happening, interesting papers. And one of the interesting papers that I came across was the paper by Primack and Woodroff, Woodruff, which was entitled, Does the Chimpanzee Have a Theory of Mind? It was just an, a, a very um, exciting paper, which really discussed for the first time what's um, now known as a theory of mind, that is the ability to attribute beliefs or thoughts or feelings to other agents and the ability to deceive others. So Premax experiments with chimpanzees were about uh, understanding of um, deception in particular. And he showed that, in fact, these otherwise very clever animals who could be trained in, to understand lots of things actually did not understand this kind of intention to deceive. And it seemed to me that that was very, very intriguing um, because there were there were anecdotal stories about how autistic children never lied or couldn't understand that other people were lying. So there were some ideas like that around, but I, I must say I hadn't formulated them at all. And um, until um, we were discussing in John Morton's um, newly founded uh, MRC, uh, Cognitive Development Unit, um, where people like Alan Leslie and Simon Baron Cohen were new on the field and were actually starting to be interested in, in autism. And I would um, mention, for example, that there were these difficulties in communication and there were these difficulties in uh, the ordinary um, uh, play that we saw in these children. It wasn't like the normal social role play, the pretend play. And... These kinds of ideas fitted like hand in glove with ideas that Alan Leslie brought about normal development, because for him it was an extremely um, puzzling phenomenon how normal children at the age of 18 months or so, where they really have to learn about uh, objects in the environment, what they're for, what they really are like, how they could be used, when at that same time they were actually playfully um, using objects in a way that they weren't actually meant for. So his famous example is about the 18-month-old understanding and laughing when the mother picks up a banana and puts a banana to her ear and speaks into it as if into a telephone. Now, for Alan Leslie, it was an extraordinary uh, question as to why the child from then on didn't uh, start eating telephones or using bananas uh, uh, as telephones. No, the child laughed. The child knew that this was a make-believe situation. In other words, uh, at looking at an object as 
decoupled from its real use in the world. And this idea of decoupling was a, a, an essential contribution by Alan Leslie to the development of, of the theory that there was a difficulty in autism to attribute mental states to other people. Where we were all a little bit uncertain what would be best to do, there appeared in the journal Cognition, a paper by Heinz Wimmer and Josef Perner, which used and introduced for the first time the uh, famous false belief paradigm, which uh, Wimmer and Perner called the, the maxi and the chocolate story, and which we slightly transformed into the Salian experiment, which Simon first used with autistic children. And I, I, I can show you the dolls that he used at the time. So here is Sally and here is Anne. And Sally has a basket and she has a marble. She puts the marble in her basket and covers this with a cloth. Anne has a box. Now Sally wants to play outside and she goes out for a walk, completely removed from the scene. Now while Sally is out, she takes a marble from Sally's basket and she puts it into her own box. Naughty Anne. Now you can imagine that at this point, many four-year-olds who we tested um, would laugh and giggle and they would immediately anticipate what would happen next, but not so the autistic children that were tested by Simon Baron Cohen. So he would now say, okay, it's time for Sally to come back from her walk. And she comes back and she wants to play with her marble. And she and he said to the child, where will Sally look for her marble? And autistic children very often gave the answer here in the box, either by pointing or by saying, because of course, that's where the marble really was. But that was the wrong answer, as you know, because Sally couldn't know that the marble has been transferred. Sally had a false belief. So autistic children who had a mental age of um, six, seven, eight, nine years and were perfectly capable of understanding the little story and could remember what happened first, remember what happened second, could not predict what's, where Sally would look on the basis of her belief. It was uh, one of those exciting novel findings that once they were known, everybody accepted them as very plausible. Now, one very important um, um, point I must I must make here is just having such a finding is also not enough because you want to know how does it relate to um, the inability to communicate in autism? How exactly does it explain what is wrong? What is what is sensed as as difficult with autistic children? And we really needed to get to the, the everyday life, everyday life behavior and see how a lack of theory of mind 
uh, inability to understand that other people have mental states that are different from one's own, how that could explain anything at all. And maybe I should tell you an anecdote here. Very early on, when we talked about this work at conferences, at, at parents' association meetings, one parent wrote to me very early on and said, this explanation has made sense of one particular type of behavior that I've observed in my son. This was a boy who could not speak at all, but the parents had taught him to point towards high up to a high cupboard where they kept sweets for him. And if he pointed, he could then obtain a sweet. And his father had observed that the son would sometimes do this even when there was no one in the room to observe him. And as a result, actually, this boy was, was extremely frustrated and had tantrums that nobody could explain. Now the father said, it makes sense. He imagines that everyone else knows what I know. He cannot conceive of the, um, the different mental states, different kinds of knowledge that other people have. And therefore, he would get very frustrated when other people suddenly didn't give him the sweet when they had previously taught him that that was what would happen. <laughs> 